0: Welcome to Pivot the Podcast, exploring career twists and turns, with me, Laura Oldfield. Hello, how are you? It is so nice to be back in your ears again. I wonder, where are you as you're listening to this? I just love to imagine. Are you racing for the tube? Are you on an afternoon walk? Are you doing the washing up? Are you sitting down whilst... A child falls asleep in your arms? Are you sweating away at the gym or walking around at the gym lifting heavy things? I'm Laura and I'm so glad that you are here to listen to today's episode of Pivot to the Podcast with the fantastic Lawrence Owen. Lawrence and I recorded this a few years ago post the Christmas madness that us creative freelancers so enjoy. And it was so special to spend this time with him, hearing all about his really varied career that has truly pivoted from thing to thing. If you don't already listen to the audio dramas that he creates with his wife, Lindsay, I urge you to do so. I am a huge fan of Mockery Manor and have been listening since the start. And I know it has not just a cult following, but a very wide following. But Lawrence has created so much wonderful work in his career from being a voiceover artist to an actor to a podcast and audio drama producer to a composer. He's also one of those people who I think shows us just what humanity is capable of in the sense that whenever I speak to young people and adults about why we need to justify the existence of things like the arts or other creative endeavours, It's because surely that is such a big part of the privilege of being human, being able to do these things, being able to express ourselves in such a multitude of ways. And that's what Lawrence does so clearly. He's also really honest about the life of a freelancer, how we choose what to say yes and no to, about income, about promotion, about that buzzword of the moment, discoverability, about how we use our different experiences with the internet to bring money into our lives and to connect with an audience all the while keeping the joy in what we're doing and without it just feeling like a struggle. I loved hearing how different Lawrence's week is to that of a typical nine-to-five worker, the pros and the cons of that. It was so interesting and I think you can really imagine him working from his shed surrounded by gadgets and gizmos and creating this wonderful work. Thank you so much as well for supporting Pivot the Podcast. We are really upping the numbers in terms of downloads and I will keep asking you to please like it, leave me a five-star review, it means so much, and subscribe. I'm so excited to share the forthcoming guests that we have with you. And if you haven't caught up with episodes one to three, please give yourself the treat of doing that. If you've got any questions for me or you'd like to appear on the podcast, don't forget to just drop me an email. It's hello at lauraoldfield.com. It is such a genuine thrill to receive your feedback and your ideas, and surely part of the joy of the internet is a democratisation of contact, so if you want to get in touch, you know where I am. But now, at the end of a very long January 2024, here is Season 1, Episode 4 of Pivot the Podcast with Lawrence Owen. Welcome to Pivot, the podcast with me, Laura Oldfield, and I am so excited, so intrigued and so desperate to get into talking to the wonderful Lawrence Owen today. Lawrence, welcome to Pivot. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you. What a pleasure to be here.
0: And for those of you who are new to the world of Lawrence Owen, could you tell us a bit about who you are, what you do, what you spend your days doing, and I guess how you make money?
1: (laughs) Right. So... I have been at various points a composer, a musician, an actor, a voice actor, a podcast producer, a graphic designer, and probably many other things that I've now forgotten. But what I mostly do now is I make audio dramas in collaboration with my wife and creative partner, Lindsay. We are Longcat Media, that's our company, and for the last sort of four years, we've been pretty much full-time making audio drama podcasts.
0: And for all of those like me who just love a crisp sound in their ears, it is such a dream to have somebody with such a beautiful audio setup. So for all <laughs> the geeks among us, thank you so much, because hearing your voice through my ears, that audio setup is delicious. And I can tell it's what you specialize in now. And <laughs> there are so many things that I want to ask you, but I actually want to know more about the audio drama straight away. I cannot imagine the process that goes from we've got this cool idea to we have produced an entire drama. And it really is with you two, there is so much of it that is you and Lindsay, isn't it? Could you tell me a bit more about how it comes from this this dream in your heads to this incredible production?
1: Sure. Well, if I can sort of just go back a little bit. When I was very young, I was in lots of bands and I was playing a lot of music. And then I went to art college for a year To do a foundation and then my undergrad was in digital music and sound arts at brighton and so for that i was playing it was a very kind of loosey-goosey course and and we played with lots of different ideas for not very long it was a sort of introduction to a bit like a kind of an extension of the foundation but for sound and music and one of the things that we touched upon for a slightly longer amount of time was sort of media composition for film and tv scoring And, you know, and and theatre and anything else, basically music that is made in order to support something else, whether that's on screen or stage, whatever. And I knew I enjoyed that. But when I was much younger as a kid, I was an actor. I've always enjoyed drama. And and that that sounds terrible. I've always enjoyed drama. I don't mean that kind of drama. I've always (laughs) enjoyed being like performing. Yes, yeah. this is a better way of putting it. Yeah, I'm not like a total drama queen. I hope.
0: Yeah, not constantly looking. Yeah, the- just
1: aggro and argy bargy <laughs> wherever I go. No, I don't mean that. So stories, I suppose. I liked yes. I like composing music for media because it's basically using music as a way of telling stories. And then I thought for my final sort of degree showpiece thing, a good thing to do with that in mind. Would be an audio drama because I really I grew up listening to things like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and and yeah. you know classic things like that, um, and I thought well I, I can do some acting I know some people who can do acting but I can also do music and I can also do sound design because of what I've been doing on this course and and stuff I've kind of just been observing and and playing around with in my spare time. So an audio drama kind of made sense because I realized I had all of the tools to make an entire production that sounds sort of filmic and and epic and can be as large as I want without the expensive bit, which is the visuals. And so what I did was I, I made for my degree final piece adaptation of The Hound of the Baskervilles, the Sherlock Holmes story. And then I kind of thought, okay, well, that's that's fun and i graduated and forgot about it and then i started performing gigs with my own songs when i moved back to london and that i did that for a little while and it kind of fell by the wayside. i didn't really kind of find i was fitting into the sort of acoustic songwriter nights that i was playing at okay so i was living with some comedians at the time and they said well why don't you take your kind of storytelling songs that had a sort of shred of humor running throughout them and try them at a comedy night. And I wasn't really sure about that, but I tried it and it sort of did work. So then I started writing more comedy songs and writing and and performing at a lot of comedy nights and then going to uh, the Edinburgh Fringe for the, for the first time, which is where I, I met and, and got together with my wife, Lindsay. And we started working together quite quickly after that in in various capacities so we made shows together we sort of moved away from kind of the more stand-up comedy side of things and started making essentially theatrical comic musicals which at first i performed them and we would write them together Lindsay would be in charge of the script and i would be in charge of the music and then eventually we started performing them together so we did a couple of shows where we were both on stage we toured one of them for a while that was an adaptation of the time machine actually that was another adaptation hg wells story but most of what we were making was our own work original work and then after doing that for a while we sort of decided i'm not a bit sick of being on stage and the fact that particularly with the edinburgh fringe you have like 15 minutes to get in and out of the room the changeover times are insane and so you can't really do anything very elaborate And obviously, you know, the music in the sound worlds that we can play on stage can be as elaborate as you like. Mm. But you're very, very limited by the fact that it's live. And unless you want to lean really heavily on kind of triggering pre-recorded sound effects on stage, which isn't particularly interesting to look at, Mm. you're kind of a bit limited in in what you can do. And obviously, you know, sets are just completely out of the question. You can't have anything with you unless it's made of cardboard, maybe. And we did a little bit of that, but it came to 2019, <laughs> crucially. And really? we said, we don't, I don't think we really, I think we might not do Edinburgh next year and let's kind of maybe think of something else. Well, actually, that's not quite how it, how it shook down. We, we had planned maybe next year in 2020, <laughs> we'll come to Edinburgh, but we'll also do a podcast to go with it. Because we had this idea of making a sort of creepy story set in a creepy theme park. And we thought that might be a fun fringe show. And we had this idea that we would do an accompanying podcast that would be like more tales from the theme park, a sort of, you know, yeah, an accompanying thing. And so autumn of 2019, we started making this audio drama set in a theme park which was it is an amazing setting for an audio drama because it's so sonically
0: Lawrence such a good idea
1: it's so sonically rich and we've all been to you know a theme park at some point in life and you kind of know what it sounds like you've got Mm. you've got the sounds of rides and crowds and stuff but what you also have is you're walking around and you can usually hear music coming from two different places at once that clashes so you have something you know it's kind of a cacophony of sound so I thought we well we thought this would be a really rich setting for an audio drama that we could for a story that we could tell in sound only, and so that was the birth of of Mockery Manor, which was our first first series that we started in 2019, and it quickly became like us saying, you know what, forget the Edinburgh show, this is far more interesting. Let's just focus on that, and it ended up being a good decision because obviously 2020, you know, there was no fringe, there was no nothing. But we found ourselves in a position where we could kind of go, well, I think we can carry on doing this because we had to swap everything to remote recording. But, you know, as we're demonstrating right now, yes. that's totally fine. That works. It's a bit inconvenient with actors, but you can make it work. So we we recorded a lot of Mockery Manor Season 1 remotely. And then that finished. and. We had a little bit of brief respite from lockdown, but then we were thrown into another lockdown after that. Yeah. But while we were starting to make, well, while we were making Mockery Manor, we decided to, we, we were enjoying this so much that we're going to form a little company. So we became LongCat Media, which was then and is still today just me and Lindsay. That's all there is to it. That was one busy. of my
0: questions. I was wondering, is there a team behind the team? But no, it's just the core two of you.
1: Yeah, apart from our actors, we do yeah. everything. Yeah.
0: Mouse. Okay. And we
1: also we also act in it as well. But yeah, all production side of everything is just us. And so we decided so we formed Longcat Media in 2020 while we were doing Mockery Manor our first show. But we also had this idea that it would be a great thing to do a musical. We were quite interested in this pirate story, the story of Anne Bonny and Mary Read who were famous pirates in the golden age of piracy, but they, there's a, a lot of speculation about them, but we don't know an enormous amount about them. And a lot everything that we do know mostly comes from this one book, The General History of the Pirates, which is maybe written by Daniel Defoe, but no one really knows. They think it's more likely this guy, Nathaniel Mist, was a journalist. And so from that, we started making our next production, which was an audio drama musical, five episodes, And that was The Ballad of Anne and Mary, which was about, which kind of inspired by a sort of fictionalized fantasy version of the lives of Anne Bonny and Mary Read. And in doing that, we decided actually, maybe we can apply for Arts Council funding for this, which we did. We also got some funding from the UEA, University of East Anglia, where Lindsay had been doing a master's and they had business development grants. If you wanted to, you know, start up an idea so we got a bit of funding from that and a bit of funding from the arts council and that was how the ballad of Anne and mary got made because obviously a musical is enormous and incredibly complicated to make it was the hardest thing we've ever done
0: i'm sure yeah
1: and yeah it took ages and we had to record every single line of that thing in complete isolation from each other it was all remote so we had to do a thing where you know we had duets where singers in harmony so we would tell uh christina to record her line and then we'd send her performance to susan and she would sing her part and you know and oh, trying gosh. to match up oh, wow. microphones and yeah, rooms
0: thinking about balance and it, yeah that, yeah wow
1: yeah. yeah while also trying to kind of make the sounds of you know a pirate ship at sea or or 18th <laughs> century london and it was it was incredibly difficult But we kind of proved with that that like, okay, I think basically we can say there's no story that is too complicated to tell in an audio only medium. I think between Mockery and Anne and Mary, we kind of thought, I think we can sort of tackle anything. And that's the nice thing about audio drama is that you can like setting something on a pirate ship is no more expensive to your production than setting it in a coffee shop. Yeah. you you pay actors and that's it you build the sound design around it it might take a bit longer from the sound design point of view but you know i'm doing that so it doesn't doesn't really matter so that's incredibly freeing and that that has been our sort of ethos throughout this is telling the stories that we really want to tell and kind of make pushing the limits of what you can do in audio drama not being constrained by the same issues that were constraining us on when we were doing stage productions and also in doing this it is a way of making kind of big grand epic stories on tiny budgets and not getting anyone's permission to do it which as a freelance creative is you know you spend your whole life basically begging people to allow you to make art and this was it seemed to us a brilliant way of just doing it, just not having to ask permission, and we've carried on doing that. And although there are lean periods and uh, less lean periods, we're still doing it now. And we have we now have four podcasts, and Mockery Manor has three seasons. We're working on more all the time, and yeah, that's that's where we're at.
0: And I think all the freelance creatives and all those who aren't freelance creatives up and down the country and beyond will be giving little cheers to hear (laughs) that wonderful thing that there is a duo who are enabling, not just for themselves, but for others, the opportunity to have some creative freedom. Because as you say, one of the many frustrating things about wanting to create art is so often there are limitations around what we are allowed to do because it all depends on. Who's going to let us according to law and money? And it comes down to law and money. And so I suppose I can hear so clearly that joy of having got to this stage now. One of the things I'm always fascinated in discovering is how you how you create, how you foster and how you continue to foster the resilience to keep showing up for your big ideas and your big dreams when the climate that we're in, the culture that we're in, doesn't really want us to do that it would much rather we went and did something that fits into a a box that we can all understand in hours that we can understand and doing something useful that we can understand so how do you and I suppose that you can speak for Lindsay I don't know but how do you Lawrence find that you keep that resilience going in those lean periods or or those periods when others just don't seem to get it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, sometimes you you do think would this be easier to just get a, a sensible job, but <laughs> it, the, the truthful answer I think is is no, it probably isn't going to mm. be easier to do that because I, I don't want to say anything kind of like we were born to do this, you know, because yeah. that's that's a, a sort of a PR answer. But I think there is truth in the fact that we're we're so much happier operating in this freelance way. That we are going to be better at it than if we were working in the the confines of a more normal, in inverted commas, yeah. You know, well, I'm not going to say normal, but working for other people mm. in in an employed capacity. And you know, we both do that. We we do work for other people, and I am still freelance composer and sound designer and and voice artist, and I play in function bands. I do all sorts. Yeah, I think the 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 thing that keeps us doing it is is actually just quite simple is that it's it's really fun and yeah. the because we are not only creative partners but partners in life you know we're we're married and we maybe maybe have more meetings than we should we're kind of never off in, in a in a way, so we'll be just you know having breakfast somewhere and Going, oh, whatever. this song that's playing, wouldn't that be cool if we did something like that? Yeah. And I'm thinking of a specific example actually where we were in a we were having breakfast in this sort of cheesy 50s American diner near us where we live. And uh, a Buddy Holly song came on. And just in listening to this Buddy Holly song, uh Lindsay started coming up with a whole kind of framework in which a song that sounded like this would be a really effective and scary moment in one of the things that we were making. And I was going, Yeah, it could really work. And then yeah, and it'd be like playing against type. It would be, it would be using sort of recontextualizing a chirpy song in a kind of Stanley Kubrick like way. And then blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then it all just sort of we we kind of just do that so much that we we keep getting re excited by things. And the the only problem with that is, well, there's I guess several problems with that. Potentially you can just never be off and you just sort of never yeah. stop working. But the other thing that we find is often we'll be halfway through a project and we'll get too excited about the next thing and and yeah. won't, won't want to finish the thing that we're already working on. But yeah, it's it's it just comes from, you know, we've both had a lot of careers, me and Lindsay, and we're both clearly quite restless in the sort of things that we want to spend our days doing, and, and we don't like to do the same things for too long but this seems to be this seems to play to our specific strengths so neatly that it really just feels like a, a a great fit and you know reassuringly we have found that it's been the most successful thing that we've done we've built an audience like this in a way that we never managed doing other things which is really gratifying
0: and you mentioned that you've had lots of different careers for both of you as you know this this podcast is called pivot mm-hmm. but i wonder if your different careers where have been the links have there been any links or has it been i've done this for the money i've done this because it excites me tell me about some of the other things that you've done along the way and and any in particular that you think i might be interested to hear about <laughs> or or any that were awful i'd love to hear about as well
1: oh sure i mean i can give you plenty of them i mean truthfully yeah it's all all of those things are true. It's all, everything feeds into everything else. It is all for the money. It is all for fun. We're just following, we have this sort of, I I think this is not, this is, this is quite a a commonly uh, quoted thing, but the triangle of money, fun, and career, you must know this, right? So it has to satisfy at least two points on that triangle in order to be worth doing. So if it's good money and it's good for your career, but it's going to be really boring, okay, you know, do it. If yeah. it's terrible money, but it's going to be really fun and it'll be good for your career, yeah, okay, that's probably worth doing. Obviously, all of these are, you know, case by case. But if it's only fun and there's no career and no money, then maybe you won't want to do it. I mean, you might want to do it if it's fun. But it's a sort of not very hard and fast guiding rule guideline and so we've always kind of followed that but we what we don't feel is that any of these things were wasted because we can always apply things that you learn from one practice to another and that's what i think is so nice about this podcast actually is that listeners will be hearing lots of different experiences and lots of people's things that they learned along the way which and and they might apply the principles of that say a designer might have to their music or or anything else and can be how you come up with interesting ideas we're very glad that we did comedy because although it actually was a bit of a cul-de-sac in the end the principles of comedy are basically that something interesting has to happen every 10 seconds you can't let it lag you know everything has to be very tight and it, there's just no room for allowing something to to become boring otherwise you'll lose them so quickly it's the only art form really where people will like shout at your face exactly what they're thinking of it while you're trying to do it i hate it i wouldn't i wouldn't ever do it again but i'm very glad that we did it (laughs) um it's it's an odd thing to kind of you know and, and as Lindsay would would tell you if she were here Doing stand-up comedy as a woman is even more because you know you're, you're you're initially faced with it's like if if the men start at zero the women start at like minus something you get people sitting there folding their arms going come on then make me laugh you know
0: yeah exactly and a uh, woman. make oh, me woman. laugh sure yeah.
1: that's a joke isn't it and <laughs> it's it's terrible the the sort of I guess rob, having a really robust story if you're if you're calling a stand up routine a story it having to be really robust and watertight is quite a nice thing to take into audio drama or or making you know narrative work of any kind it means that hopefully they're very sort of densely packed and and rich our stories and of course you know making music i've never had a a sort of a particular style of music that i make above any other or, or that I like to make I have things that I enjoy but I I make different music every day and so having a kind of very broad frame of reference musically mm-hmm. means that you can make less conventional choices more interesting choices such as for instance the you know recontextualizing a, a song that sounds a bit like buddy holly and making it creepy yeah. is something that is very cinematic. Taking the principles of one thing and applying it to another yeah, yeah. is is a, a great practice, and I'm glad that we have done so many things in order to be able to do that.
0: Have you found that because you've done so many different things, and you may not have found this, and I hope you haven't, but have you found because you've done... So many different things that you've ever been faced with that. okay. so when are you going to grow up and decide what it is you're actually doing? When are you going to stop playing attitude? Has that ever been presented to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, our families are very supportive of us. So that's never been we've never got anything from them. We don't have children and we don't have any plans to have children. So we are only kind of responsible for ourselves, Mm. which means that, you know, that pressure to, in inverted commas, grow up is definitely not there in that department yeah. and i don't know whether that would that maybe that would change things or maybe not if we you know if we did have children i think we are clearly fairly comfortable in sitting in that strange place of not quite knowing what the year is going to bring it is maybe something of a privilege to be able to do that in fact it definitely is but uh i don't think it's something that in essence bothers us i've only had one job that was a kind of you know a a show up to work type job in my life I think yeah apart from you know little student jobs I went freelance at the age of 23 24 so the 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 only time you ever kind of worry about that sort of thing and I find is is in situations that really don't matter like trying to explain you know you go to get your hair cut and they ask what you do for a living and you have to go i don't know i could tell you but you you probably <laughs> won't get it and yeah. also you don't really care you're just making polite conversation yeah. and if you say you're a musician you have to say oh well, what kind of music do you play and then then uh, whether well, they say that and then you go well it's different every day isn't it i don't know But so but all of this is stuff that doesn't actually matter when you're yeah. in conversation with people who are actually interested and, and who care about you or or you know it's something where it actually is a bit more significant you're in a real kind of human connection then you you're okay with sort of sitting in this idea of of not quite knowing how to neatly describe what it is that that you do i mean i find that anyway it'd be interesting to see whether people have similar answers to this question
0: but i think And I hope that it's funny you mentioned children, my own children, Mm. my oldest, she's coming up to secondary school and she's very aware of what mummy and daddy do and being married to a freelancer Mm. and knowing that mummy has a combination of work some of which is very obvious to her. You know, if mummy goes into a school, she understands what that is. If mom, But now she's old enough to understand mummy's recording a podcast. Well, she knows what one of those is because she can listen to a podcast. Yeah. She knows if mummy's on a film recording. Oh, listen, there's mummy going, ooh, in Barbie. Cool, that's really cool. <laughs> but I think the part of the narrative that I want her and all my children and all the children with whom I come into contact is, how is it that I want them to go and live their lives I would like them to live their lives doing work that makes them happy, that challenges them and scares them a bit, that really excites them and that helps them make money Mm. so that they can then have a happy life. And I think what you've described so beautifully there is that really that's what you do. And how wonderful would it be if that's what we could promote more rather than just these arbitrary titles, not to say that we don't need people whose jobs have titles who perform a very obvious, useful function to society, but I would suggest that the work that you're doing is kind of the epitome of what surely we all hope for, don't we? That excitement that every day I get up and I get to do the thing that is is what I would do, even if you didn't pay me, which of course we know is a curse because then mm. people go, but you love it, right? So you're just going to do it for the love of it. And we know that that is insulting <laughs> and completely, um, it's just not fair and it's not true. But hearing you speak in that way it sounds to me that if you had that conversation you know at the barbers and they said right what is what is your values driven work that you'd be able to (laughs) a very snappy sentence in response yeah And, and would you say so I guess leading on from that what are kind of the values in your work and and do they come across to your life as well do you think beyond work although as you say there's such a strong overlap between the two of them, maybe you can't separate them. And maybe that's brilliant.
1: It's such an interesting question, what the, the values are in our work. I don't really know. I mean, I, I'm sure everyone starts by saying they don't know and then continues to work it out over the next five minutes. Maybe I'll do the same.
0: You don't to do that right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I, we what we set out to do with Longcat was to make, you know, big emotional, silly, fun, sort of escapist stories, adventure-type stories, in a way, even if that adventure is set in one room. We wanted to essentially... It's it's sort of maybe considered genre fiction, what we do, I guess. But then, you know, if we were to make something that was more, in inverted commas, literary, we totally could, because we own the means of production and we're in charge of what we do. I suppose the value th- that we always want to keep in our work is that it is much on our terms yeah. and although we you know we will have meetings with people in the more uh, mainstream traditional industries the creative industries so people in theater and tv and film and and, and so on what we always come back to and and what we found ourselves thinking more and more recently is, if we were to do that, would it be better? So, say, uh I kind of <laughs> don't want to necessarily name any specific entities, but the big one that British people seem to be incredibly proud of that started in the 1920s, right? That big Boy, broadcasting yeah. thing.
0: Always got there, yeah.
1: Yeah, like to do something for them on the radio would be much worse than doing it ourselves everything yeah. about the experience would be much worse we'd yeah. make far less money agreed definitely um, <laughs> we would have no control it would go out maybe once and then it would fall into the sea for as much of a difference as it would make to our lives or anyone else's yeah. and it would just it would get no love whatsoever and it wouldn't be done in the way that we wanted to do it because there wouldn't be enough time or budget or inclination on our part to do it properly. So I guess, I don't want to say like fiercely independent in the way that some people do, but keeping that spirit of going, well, if we do it ourselves, it will probably be better in, in a lot of cases is a thing that we, we always, is, that's a value that we hold pretty dear. And that's not mm. to say that we're ruling out collaboration or, or, you know, co-production or anything like that, or, or even, you know, a, a future of these audio dramas in, in other media like uh, stage or screen. But they're having sort of going from a position of asking permission, you know, seeking sort of recognition from other people basically going hello let me introduce myself my name's so and so and i'm i'm can offer you this that and the other and you're probably not interested but anyway there you go that is quite tiring and eventually Absolutely. kills your love for the whole thing so to kind of go well we want to do this all right let's do it now is the most valuable thing that we have i think as creatives me and me and lindsay and I would I would wish that for everyone
0: I would too I'm hearing this I'm calling that value freedom
1: mm-hmm. I'm
0: going with that
1: for now okay yeah cool let's so, go with that
0: and and so how does that translate into because I'm somebody that likes to imagine you know the the meeting around the breakfast table in the morning you and Lindsay right what are we doing today how does it work how do you live your your work day Uh, Does it change day to day? You said you know you get up and you make music every day. (laughs) I guess you have the you have the freedom to go. No, can't be bothered today unless you're on deadline. But how how do you how do you work?
1: Well, generally we are pretty. We're kind of at the same time very lenient bosses and terrible bosses to ourselves. (laughs) We drive ourselves these insane deadlines occasionally, and then we have days where, as you say, we're just like can't be bothered to do anything. Let's just have a day off, Um, which is nice. But uh, normally how it will work is so I we had we we moved out here from London in 2016 because we realized, you know, we were living on top of each other. I we were working in one living room together and I make noise for a living. Lindsay writes words for a living. It just didn't work. Yeah. So we moved to a little house in Norwich where in the garden. I have this brick outbuilding which I'm in right now which I've turned into our studio. So I have all my instruments here. I have my computer, all of our microphones. So when we have actors over we'll record them in here. So I work out here most of the time. And Lindsay has her office in the house. So generally if we're if we're both at work at the same time in the day we will we tend to have a fairly casual morning we do a lot of our kind of thinking and talking and checking in sort of in the morning up until about noon. And often we'll start around then, but I might well work until 11 PM or midnight. It seems to be that that is the rhythm that we fall into most comfortably. That's not to say that I'm not like not a morning person. I quite like the mornings, They're, they're valuable time, but I seem to work I seem to be fine with working into the evening. And so, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll kind of, you know, we'll be messaging and we'll check in, say, is it coffee time <laughs> at various <laughs> points throughout the day? You know, sometimes a cat will walk in and cool. interrupt things and walk across the keyboard and all of that. And maybe that's the time to take a little break. But sometimes, yeah, I, I have had it that it will have got dark and I haven't noticed. You know, if you're really okay. into something, then... Then, you know, you get that wonderful thing of like being in a kind of trance state. And then there are some days where it's like pulling teeth yeah. and I just can't face listening to my own voice or, yeah. Or, yeah. or or trying to write some bit of music or, or you know, so the, it's it's not all, you know, big fun. There are a lot of days where it's really boring, but there's always this goal in mind. and of whatever it is that we're doing and and we always want to see it through to completion and we want to put it out and we want to do it in a timely manner crucially because I think you you could you could tinker forever and that just gets you nowhere so yeah that kind of the the sort of advice I would give to anyone doing something like this would be do the work be be kind to yourself but also you know just get your head down and do it don't like make too many excuses but once it's done don't like keep doing it (laughs) just recognize when it's done it's if it's like get it to a point where it's really good and you're really happy with it but once it's really good don't try and make it gooder yeah too much (laughs) too much it sounds like you know a that'll do attitude and i'm not saying that i'm just saying like know when it is ready
0: yes yes I was talking to a writer friend recently about his process and saying, you know, how do you keep showing up for the words? And he said, well, the main thing you've got to do is read a lot because if you don't read, then you're never going to be a good writer. And would you say that's the same if we take it from a from a musician's context that, yes, we've got to show up to do the composing and the performing, but if we stop listening, that's that's when the wheels come off. How do you keep showing up to write music and what is it that gives you that oh yeah I've got to try that is it all the I heard that in a 50s diner or tell me more about what your process is and in fact I should just say one of the things I'm very interested to explore in 2024 and if anyone wants to email me about this I'd love to know is people's creative processes because I think that's a really challenging thing to be asked what's your creative process and I think most of the time it's when I just turn up and I try (laughs) but are there specific things that help you to keep inspired, to keep going, and, and to keep producing.
1: I mean, I think the the thing about reading a lot is certainly true, and you know, Lindsay lives and breathes stories in her life. She she reads a lot. Obviously, she's our writer for all of our productions, and she's fascinated by people and characters, and that is clearly what excites her and motivates her in the same way that music and sound excites and motivates me. And so, yeah, you, I think it's very important to listen to a lot of music if you're if you're trying to compose. I compose a friend of mine says he writes something every day, which is that's extremely yeah. disciplined. He he is quite a machine. But yeah, I think maybe you can take from that what you want. I don't. But everyone works differently. I mean, some people are Stephen King. You know, they just can't stop and yeah. need absolutely no breaks from it but yeah i think staying curious in that way is really important i think wh- one of the interesting things that i was told by a composer's agent you know you can take from this what you want is if you're putting a showreel of your pieces of music together as a portfolio on a website or something don't put your super slick orchestral thing that sounds like han zimmer first put your weird thing that doesn't sound like anything else first so cuz essentially i guess what she was getting at is eh, anyone can do super slick you like that is the kind of default you know the big hybrid orchestral big sort of movie sound the trailer sound the the I don't want to I don't actually want to say the Hans Zimmer sound because Hans Zimmer is an incredible creative and 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 inspired composer and that's doing him a disservice to just say the Hans Zimmer sound but it's inspired by the the sort of trademarks of his sound. Yes. is so much a kind of default of of media that putting that first doesn't actually tell the listener very much about you. But a weird thing that you wrote with a cello and a theremin and a piece of string might be <laughs> might tell them more about you and they, maybe they need a thing for a chairman and a, a, a theremin and a cello and a piece of string or maybe they <laughs> don't but but the point is they know that you're up for trying things i guess yeah so yeah i think staying curious sounds cliched, but is always true and not getting too hung up about sounding a particular way but following all of your interests i guess would be
0: i love that last one because so much of creating art is about ego and if I create this sound or I create this visual or I create these words what does it mean about me as an individual and to be able to detach from that and say this this is the sound right now these are the words right now yeah it's a hard thing to do but but a very wonderful thing to do
1: yes and yeah. I and while I think of it one of the other things that we always say uh, to people who ask us about um starting podcasts and starting audio dramas is don't end game it too much. If you want to do it, definitely do it. But we had a conversation once with someone who said, I've got this great idea and I I haven't done any podcasts before, but I've got this idea. I think it'll be great. And I want to know how you monetize it. And I thought, okay, I admire the the brashness of that and the kind of, you know, like money is important. You do have to talk about money. It's, It's how we live, obviously. But if you have a podcast idea and you're starting from nothing at all, forget it. There's no way of monetizing it from the very beginning. You have to build it up first. And, you know, it is a luxury to be able to take the time and a privilege to be able to take the time to invest in it and build it up slowly. But unfortunately, it's necessary. And Absolutely. if you're coming at it from a kind of... how as a kind of get rich quick thing you're never going to you're never going to make it and also if you're going at it with a sort of like okay I'll do this and then it'll get turned into a TV show that's also probably not going to work it might do it might happen by accident but it's more likely to be successful if you just try and make it good and then you know then it it will follow if it's good and if it has your heart and soul poured into it it's far more likely to succeed than if you tried to do it in a particular way that you think will lead to something else.
0: You mentioned that you and Lindsay with long cat media, you are long cat media
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you are creating audio dramas now that are successful in in the way that success means so many things, yes, they are fantastic pieces of art but they are now also providing an income for you and Lindsay and one of the hardest things and best things about having this complete creative freedom is there isn't a marketing team behind you there isn't a sales executive there isn't HR it's you and Lindsay how have you managed to create this loyal community of fans how have you managed to take it from well I love it and my mum loves it and her friend listens to it to no, this is something that people want to pay for and how have you actually reached that community in the first place
1: i mean that's the that's the big question that discoverability is always what's so hard about you know anything particularly things that happen on on the internet that are accessible for free lest we forget if you're a youtuber or a podcaster or whatever the product is there and it's free and no one has to pay for it so you have yep. to be cool with that and there's a degree of sort of shamelessness involved, which is, you know, and and rightful shamelessness of going, look, if you like this, please consider supporting it. So just asking is, is an important part of it. We could be better at it, to be honest. But one of the things that we learned from the Edinburgh Fringe was that, because when we were doing the Edinburgh Fringe, we would always go into what's called the Free Fringe, which is basically a model there are sort of two models that exist up at the Edinburgh Fringe you either have people buy a ticket and go to your and then they go to the show or the show is free but they can make a donation on the way out and we always did that method because we identified that people don't know who we are so if you're asking for money before they've seen the product they're very unlikely to do that Whereas if it's free, all you're asking for is their time. So you'll get a lot more people through the door in the first place. And then once they've seen the product, they've been with you for an hour and they've been entertained. Hopefully they like it. Then they will probably give, you know, something close to what they might have spent on a ticket. Not always. And plenty of people don't. And and that's fine. But the point is, we will have reached far more ears that way than if we were you know sort of charging entry and i think that's what is so nice about podcasting is that it's it's free to access it's completely it's global you know it's accessible to anyone anywhere who has an internet connection and a device of any kind and so you can just reach a lot of people in a way that is sort of unprecedented before you know about 20 15 20 years ago and obviously it's not it's not easy to make money with a product that is free. So we have several revenue streams it's where we're gonna start using horrible words like revenue streams. But yeah, it's yeah, it's you have to, don't you? Yeah. So we make our money from several different revenue streams. So we have advertising. We do now run ads on the podcasts. We're part of a network, the Fable and Folly network, who uh, is a collective of uh, podcasts all in the fiction space. They're a Canadian group. They're absolutely wonderful. They do lovely, lovely work. and They're really supportive of all of us on the network, and it's been a that's been the best thing that we've done actually. You know, mm. since starting this is is join that network. It's been great for us. So I hope they,
0: they do very spooky trailers sometimes. When I've listened to a <laughs> podcast, like this is
1: terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> well, that might have been one of ours because we have a horror show that we like as well, but. <laughs> Yeah. So they, yeah, they, they're brilliant. Fable and folly. So we run ads on the podcast that they secure for us. They are our advertising contact, which is great, which means we don't have to worry about that. We just say, yes, we're happy to run that or we're happy to record an endorsement for that or not. There have been several things that we've said we would rather not do that. And they're totally fine with that. So they're a great organization. So we, yes, that's one of our revenue streams. We run ads we also get arts council funding sometimes which is great when you can get it obviously it's not guaranteed we've we've had we had a, a string of good luck and then a bunch of that didn't get funded but that's just them's the breaks so yeah. you know we we'll, we we keep applying for specific projects and if you don't get it you can kind of go oh, okay maybe it does need work or maybe it's that was just you know n- not our time to do yeah. that and then we have subscriber model type affairs we have coffee which is spelled yeah. K-O-F-I, fi which is kind of similar really so we have people that support us on a one-off basis and we have people that support us on a monthly basis and that makes some income as well we have quite a lot of merch now and it does all right one of the very interesting things that we have found is that There is crossover between our podcasts. Of course, there's going to be some crossover, but it's not necessarily as much as you might think. So the people that love Mockery don't necessarily love Madame Magenta, which is another one of ours, and the people that love Madame Magenta don't necessarily love The Ballad of Anne and Mary. And Mm. we find that uh, different revenue streams kind of are more successful with each one. So. It's interesting. Advertising-wise, Mockery Manor is our biggest show. It gets the most downloads, so that is the most valuable for from an advertising point of view. Just because it appeals to you know clients more. From a merch point of view, the Ballad of Anne and Mary is very effective. A lot mm. of people want the soundtrack and and want we we've, we've made a, like a little theatrical program for it, and a lot of people buy that even though it's actually one of our smaller shows in terms of downloads. The the merch side of it is very good, and then Madame Magenta, which I haven't really talked about. So Madame Magenta is Lindsay's psychic medium character, (laughs) who it's a it's a brilliant character. She performed as her for many years, did Edinburgh shows as Madame Magenta. So she's uh, the idea of Magenta is that she's genuinely magic, really is like able to speak to the dead, and she has magical powers. But a lot of the time. The dead don't say anything very useful, so the character of Magenta bullshits her clients quite a lot because actually that's what they want to hear, and that's the the greater yeah. kindness. So yeah, that's uh we do it. It's a basically a kind of it started off as a sort of an audio book. She'd written some books as Magenta, and so she was reading the books, and I was playing her husband Bernard, who's sort of Magenta's biggest fan, who kind of in the background pushing the buttons but that has grown into we've done like a you know, hundred and something episodes of Magenta and Bernard now wow. and become a thing with quite a loyal little following because it's much more informal. It's just us talking and uh, yeah, we do have stories and sound effects occasionally, but a lot of the time it's quite a almost chat like podcast. A lot of it is improvised. So it's a comedy storytelling chat podcast. And for that, because people feel like it's sort of like a parasocial relationship, they really feel like they know Magenta and Bernard. That's the one where people tend to donate to, you know, and sign up to be a monthly supporter. More often yeah. than not, they'll say, We love Madame Magenta, because it, that's the one where they feel like, Oh, I've really made a connection with these folks. Let's give them some money. So each one kind of brings a, a different side of the, of the revenue stream, which is, which is, we couldn't have predicted, but is really interesting.
0: And I think just hearing you say at the end that we couldn't have predicted, you know, I talk about pivots as if we're talking like, yes, I was a lawyer and then I became a plumber and then I became a freelance artist who specialised in pictures of fish. But actually what I find so exciting to hear and to reflect on is all those different jobs you talk about. And, you know, I know, let's be realistic that, yes, this is what Takes up the majority of your time, but of course, there'll be times where you go, "Oh, that's a nice voiceover project. I'm going to go and do that." Or, yeah oh, that would really like some music for their documentary, and I'd really like to compose that for them." And it stops you getting like the middle of the night money sweats as well, which we all have as freelancers. Oh, yeah. But but it's these these little pivots that you constantly take and adjust and tweak and refine, and I think what will be so exciting for people to hear is so often this this podcast is not just about creative people but we underestimate creative people at their peril because what you've just described is such an astute and canny sense of understanding of business of having to be so flexible resourceful and adaptable of having to make decisions that really impact the bottom line that impact the 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 whole reputation and culture and longevity of the, the product that you were creating, you know, this is why when people talk about the importance of creativity, creative people are clever, you know, <laughs> they can create and they can make good decisions, really good decisions. It's so inspiring to hear you dis- uh, discuss the way that, that the podcast and the audio drama model has, has grown for you both. But on those money sweats, I was saying to you before we started recording. We're recording this at the beginning of January on the day when it's snowing and a bit bleak and a bit grey, <laughs> and it's it's an exciting time in terms of ideas, but it's not the best time in terms of the bank balance. You said that you don't like to plan too far ahead. Do you have the yet? Yeah, we'll keep three months' worth of salary in the bank just in case, or are you a bit more fly by the seat of your pants?
1: <laughs> Definitely that second one. Yeah. Definitely.
0: Like that, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you know, we're we're, we're kind of like we're, we're it's. I'm making it sound like it's really bleak. We're we're always fine, but there are yeah, definitely leaner periods, and you can sort of predict them a bit. Like we know that this is going to be a quiet time for freelance work, and also a quiet time for advertising on the podcast as well. No one no one buys anything in the first quarter because everyone's you know, broke after Christmas and it's just yes. a, a bleak, depressing time. But yeah. yeah, we can sort of plan for it. We, what we quite often do or try and do, it, maybe it doesn't always work out this way, is use this period to sort of get the, our heads down and, and try and make something and not worry mm-hmm. too much about releasing anything at this point. Certainly when you release things is is very important. In the run up to Christmas, we've done two Christmas specials for Mockery. And one we put out on the 1st of December, one year, and then this year just gone, we put it out on the 15th of December. And although it wasn't really like as strictly Christmas flavoured as the one before, we did find like, that's a bit too close to Christmas. You know, people are a bit preoccupied. Really, we probably should do. It's actually made me have a little more sympathy for the horrible big corporations starting Christmas in September. I think that's a bit early, but, you know, we should probably be releasing our Christmas material in like November so that there's time for it to to live. And so that's, you know, one example of that. But there are things that are sort of less obvious, like our numbers always dip on the weekend. Yeah. Um, weekends are just fewer people listen to podcasts because yeah. they are there are fewer people commuting. There are fewer people at jobs where they might be able to listen to something while they work. Yeah. It's just loads of reasons. They might be seeing family or just, you know, living their lives and not listening to podcasts. So we always try and avoid releasing things on on weekends. We tend to aim for Tuesdays because Monday is chaotic. You're trying to catch up after. This is funny for us because obviously all of our days are, you know, completely no different from one day or the other. We don't really know what weekends <laughs> are. But yeah. But yeah, we recognize and remember from past jobs that Mondays are full of playing catch-up, so you don't really have much time. These days, you're kind of in the swing of the week. Yeah. So midweek is when we always release. And, and that kind of thing we discover by trial and error and just looking at stats. One thing that's really nice about podcast, as well, of course, is that you have you know more stats than you could ever know what to do with. Just sort of given to you. And and the danger is that you become too obsessed with the stats and start going, Oh, we got a hundred more downloads yesterday. What does that mean? It like doesn't mean anything. Yeah. It means nothing. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely nothing. It will all level out. But yeah, so but there are some things you can kind of use to your advantage like that.
0: And when you are having this time of creation, of planning, of making something new without that pressure of we need to release it now. Do you find that you have any kind of rituals or routines or are there comfort blankets of songs or comfort blankets of books that you might go back to and reflect upon and read or other things that you do to kind of get that creative fire burning again? Or is that all far too tie it up neatly in a bow and it's just much more (laughs) random than
1: that? I mean, it's it's pretty random. Quite often, the spark of an idea will come from this. One of the things that has happened a lot is Lindsay will ask me, what kind of music do you feel like making next? And which is, you know, a lovely thing to be asked. And so I might go, huh? Okay. Yeah, right. I'm really into seventies psychedelia, like, you know, Pink Floyd and kind of prog rock and, and that sort of late sixties psychedelic wig out movement. And so we have, a, we have an idea that we're kind of working on now that has been on the back burner for a while and we, it, we keep sort of toying with it in our minds that would have a setting, it'd be set in the 1970s. And so I've got, one of the things I do is keep an eye on Facebook Marketplace for weird instruments. Of And course. this organ came up. It was in a village hall near us, near Norwich and no one wanted it, it was free. All we had to do was go and get it, we had to hire a van. But it's a 1980 Farfisa organ that, you know, has this so much character. electric organ has so much character. It just sounds like a Pink <laughs> Floyd record. And, you know, I'm not an organ organist. I'm a guitar player. Mostly I can play a bit of keyboard just to get by. But, you know, I'm not I, I can't be doing with using feet as well as hands. What? How does that I mean, work? No,
0: that's no, just, too much brain
1: gym. That's, that's baffling. That's total brain gym. <laughs> <laughs> but you know we've got it and that kind of thing can be really inspiring and 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 you know Lindsay might similarly get into a, a setting or a, a character in history or you know just a particular little spark that will get her thinking or get me thinking and get us talking and and we just sort of have ideas that mm-hmm. not I mean not all of them end up coming good we did once work out a detective story set in Victorian London starring two cats. But that didn't happen because we kind of realised that's probably amusing only to us. And it just, it just we couldn't make it work. So it yeah,
0: just, Lindsay and Lawrence really love their cats.
1: That was that was exactly what that was. And I like to think that we had the sense to go, do you know what? Let's keep that one for us. Would or
0: good for children's tv hey maybe maybe
1: maybe we, maybe that was throwing away a golden opportunity there. i mean we do riff as our cats quite a lot we have voices for each of them and we have whole conversations as our cats which i don't think is actually that unusual so i don't i think
0: bad. there would be a big income stream there for cat lovers you yeah. should release a little private podcast just to titillate a certain section of our society I think yeah be well into it. i think so <laughs> um Lawrence, i could talk to you forever but i feel we have reached a point where i'm ready to ask you the big question and for you i feel that the answer is yes a million things but i ask everybody <laughs> who comes on the podcast what are the pivots that you have yet to explore that are away at the back of your mind teasing you saying one day one day i'm gonna do that
1: mm. i mean yeah as with so many people you ask them one year the next year it'll be a totally different answer and that's that's probably a good thing we we don't want to stop doing what we're doing we're really happy doing these things at the moment we are enjoying hearing from our audience that's you know it's on the internet so people can reach us at any point which is great and also terrifying but mostly great and so we don't want to stop doing that i it's been a very long time personally since i wrote much music that wasn't attached to something else Mm. so you know i've been scoring and and writing songs that are for you know the the purposes of an audio drama or or for somebody else's project i i did a big theater show the year before last which is finally having its uk premiere this summer so that was a, a huge amount of work which was kind of running parallel to us making mockery manor season two so I want to keep doing different things. I, I think probably ready to maybe maybe write some songs or just sort of have a bit of music of my own that isn't attached to anything else while we keep doing you know, what we're doing because we definitely don't want to stop and I definitely don't want to stop doing what we're doing. But I think the only real sort of like I don't know if there's like a specific pivot that I can see myself heading towards. I don't think so. I think just keeping keeping it mixed up, keeping doing lots of different things is probably what clearly makes me happy and makes Lindsay happy and is what is healthy for us. So I have no doubt that we're going to keep doing that.
0: What a beautiful sentiment upon which to end, <laughs> Lawrence. It has been so fascinating and such a delight to have Your voice in my ears for this time. Thank you so much for coming on Pivot the
1: Podcast. Thank you, Laura. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Pivot the Podcast. It means so much to get your lovely reviews and feedback. You can always email me, hello at lauraoldfield.com. Visit my website, lauraoldfield.com. Let's make friends on Instagram, lauraoldfield underscore. Or you could be amazing. You could subscribe and leave me a five-star review. How special would that be? It's on Apple. It's on Spotify. It's wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're a small business owner or a freelancer or a creative who's looking for some coaching or mentoring, I'm your girl. And if you're looking for a singer, again, hello. Thanks once more for listening, and I'll see you in a fortnight. Please would you subscribe to? P- the podcast. You, you can, can find, find us where you, way you might, might expect like Apple and Spotify. Please would you subscribe to Pivot the Podcast. Please would you subscribe today. Please would you subscribe to Pivot the Podcast. Please would you subscribe today.